Chapter 1. What is Pearl Harbor? On that first weekend in December, there must have been twenty or twenty-five boats getting ready to leave. I had just turned seven. I remember it was Sunday because I was out of school, which meant I could go down to the wharf and watch. In those days, 1941, there was no smog around Long Beach. The water was clean, the sky a sharp Sunday blue, with all the engines of that white sardine fleet puttering up into it, and a lot of yelling, especially around Papa's boat. Papa loved to give orders. He had attended military school in Japan until the age of 17, and part of him never got over that. My oldest brothers, Bill and Woody, were his crew. They would have to check the nets again, and check the fuel tanks again, and run back to the grocery store for some more cigarettes, and then somehow everything had been done, and they were easing away from the wharf, joining the line of boats heading out past the lighthouse into the harbor. Papa's boat was called the Nereid, long, white, low-slung with a four-deck wheel cabin. He had another smaller boat called the Waka, a short version of our name, which he kept in Santa Monica where we lived. But the Nereid was his pride. It was worth about $25,000 before the war, and the way he stood in the cabin steering toward open water, you would think the whole fleet was under his command. Papa had a mustache then. He wore knee-high rubber boots, a rust-colored turtleneck Mama had knitted him, and a black skipper's hat. He liked to hear himself called Skipper. Through one of the big canneries, he had made a deal to pay for the Nereid with percentages of each catch, and he was anxious to get it paid off. He didn't much like working for someone else if he could help it. A lot of fishermen around San Pedro Harbor had similar contracts with the canneries. In typical Japanese fashion, they all wanted to be independent commercial fishermen, yet they almost always fished together. They would take off from Terminal Island, help each other find the schools of sardine, share nets and radio equipment, competing and cooperating at the same time. You never knew how long they'd be gone a couple of days, sometimes a week, sometimes a month, depending on the fish. From the wharf, we waved goodbye. My mother, Bill's wife, Woody's wife, Chizu, and me. We yelled at them to have a good trip, and after they were out of earshot and the sea had swallowed their engine noises, we kept waving. Then we just stood there with the other women, watching. It was a kind of duty, perhaps, a way of adding a little good luck to the voyage, or warding off the bad. It was also marvelously warm, almost summery, the way December days can be sometimes in Southern California. When the boats came back, the women who lived on Terminal Island would be rushing to the canneries. But for the moment, there wasn't much else to do. We watched until the boats became a row of tiny white gulls on the horizon. Our vigil would end when they slipped over the edge and disappeared. You had to squint against the glare to keep them sighted, and with every blink you expected the last white speck to be gone. But this time, they didn't disappear. They kept floating out there, suspended, as if the horizon had finally become what it always seemed to be from shore, 
the sea's limit, beyond which no man could sail. They floated a while, then they began to grow, tiny gulls becoming boats again, a white armada cruising toward us. They're coming back, my mother said. Why would they be coming back, Chizu said. Something with the engine? Maybe somebody got hurt. But they wouldn't all come back, Mama said, bewildered. Another woman said, Maybe there's a storm coming. They all glanced at the sky, scanning the unmarred horizon. Mama shook her head. There was no explanation. No one had ever seen anything like this before. We watched and waited, and when the boats were still about half a mile off the lighthouse, a fellow-